The following podcast is a Dear Media production. This episode is brought to you by Ritual. You guys know I'm a human guinea pig and I'm still here taking Ritual and loving it, okay? It's filled with iron, vitamin E, magnesium, folate, and omega-3. Kind of everything. It's made in the USA without synthetic fillers. 95% of women do not get the vitamins and minerals they need on a daily basis, so Ritual created a smarter vitamin with the nine essential ingredients women lack most. Go to ritual.com slash skinny today to choose clean ingredients backed by science. Sign up now at ritual.com slash skinny. She's a lifestyle blogger extraordinaire. Fantastic. And he's a serial entrepreneur. A very smart cookie. And now Lauren Everts and Michael Bostick are bringing you along for the ride. Get ready for some major realness. Welcome to the Skinny Confidential, him and her. Aha. I could play all that BS and act like my life's perfect and like be just like me. Or I could be real and say, actually, I'm just like you. I'm just like you. There's two ways people walk into a room, man. One person walks in a room and goes, here I am. The best people walk into a room and go, there you are. They're totally different people. And I I have chosen in my life as I've started to have some successes, I don't want to be here I am. Be like me. I'm amazing. Look, no, I'm, I'm like you. And the truth is I am. I have insecurities. I have weaknesses deficiencies and I've gotten to where I've gotten in life knowing what they are and I got the tools, strategies and tactics to help you do it. What's up, guys? Happy, happy new year. How fun. 2019, what up? Welcome back to the Skinny Confidential Him and Her Show. If you're a new listener, thank you guys for joining us. That clip was from our guest of the show today, Ed Milet. I am obsessed with him. And this episode is meant to kick your ass into gear for 2019. If you're a hustler, you're going to love this episode. On this specific episode, we discuss mental toughness, how to dig yourself out of tough times, understanding depression and humility, how to build self-confidence, confidence and how to build a massive career. For those of you who are new to the show, I am Lauren Everett's Bostic. I'm sipping on my hydro flask, feeling really, really refreshed after the new year at Dear Media Studio. And I am the creator of The Skinny Confidential, which is a blog, a brand, a podcast, and a book. 2019 is here. Another year crushed and in the books. 2018 is long gone. And my name is Michael Bostic. I'm a serial entrepreneur and brand builder. Most recently, the CEO of Dear Media, which is a podcast network focused on female audiences and voices that is getting ready to destroy 2019. We're back again. We're back again. We're here. I personally really, really, really am attached to this episode. I found Ed to be so interesting. He's charismatic. He's dynamic. He's complimentary. He's humble. He's down to earth. I I really just had a really great experience interviewing someone. It's really nice when you have that flow in the interview. You know what I mean? We had a great flow. And also when you meet someone that's as successful as Ed is and as humble as he is, it's really refreshing because let's be honest, there's a lot of dickheads out there and he is not one of them. He is true to his word. He is a massive personality, an exciting speaker, and he has a ton to offer, which he does on the show, which is why we chose this episode to go live the first day of 2019 to get you guys fired up to launch you full force into 2019. Every day, every new year is an opportunity to launch yourself forward, stop making excuses and absolutely destroy your goals. What is your resolution for 2019, Michael? I love to just put you on the spot and throw you out there. My resolu- I don't really make resolutions, but it's just constant forward progress, right? Just forward progress. What about your new 5 a.m. wake up that you've been doing? I've been doing that and I am enjoying it. 
doing it. And I will keep doing that. My resolution is kind of different and I haven't told you this. It's to clear my entire calendar. What? (laughs) To clear my calendar. I want more space on my calendar to create and to create content instead of running around everywhere like with a chicken with my head cut off. So I really, for 2019, want to have more space and blockage in my calendar so I can take more pictures, write more content, possibly write a book and work on growing and scaling the brand. And also just hanging out with the community, whether it's via DM or doing live podcasts, I need more space to create. I noticed there was nothing in there for me, but okay, sounds like a great resolution. And to clear my calendar to go on a date with my husband every now and again. It would be nice to get some attention in 2019. All right. (laughs) Boy, oh boy, do I have the perfect gift for you guys. It's such an efficient, easy, quick idea. So here's what I do. I go to thrivemarket.com slash skinny wine and I get a case of their clean organic wine that does not give you a hangover. I can uh, actually speak from experience because I've been testing it out and I get a box, like I said, of the Sandrio Vese red Italian wine. All you do is you go to thrivemarket.com slash skinny wine and you click Italian. It'll take you right there. Now I get the six pack of the wine. This wine is such a good gift because it's clean and organic. Thrive Market has a huge checklist they go through before they pick out their wine. There's so many wines out there that have so much sugar added to them, which is why you get really hungover in the morning. So whenever I'm picking out my wine, I like to be super selective and I know Thrive does all the work for me. So I get my six pack of Sandro Vese red dry Italian wine. And then I also order a couple other things off Thrive. So I'll do, you know, some dark chocolate, some candy. I do some oils and vinegars and condiments and sauces and even fruit spreads and crackers. And I order... So I'll order like six of each and then I get my wine and I get all my crackers and all my little goodies and then I make baskets for each person. So you have six baskets. Well, maybe you have five because you're drinking one bottle for yourself and keeping the crackers and cheese. Let's be honest to yourself. So you have five baskets of super cute, creative, original holiday gifts. And then your cell is like, oh my God, Auntie Susan, look at the organic, dry, incredible Italian red wine that I'm giving you that isn't going to give you a hangover. It's kind of the perfect situation. Anyway, you guys know that I have been a huge shopper on Thrive Market for like the past year and a half. It's changed my life. My groceries are delivered right to my door. So, so efficient. Okay, so here's the best part. You get 25% off your first order, which is up to a maximum of $20 and free shipping. All you have to do is go to thrivemarket.com slash skinny wine. Make sure you pick up that Sandro Vese six pack and definitely some condiments, maybe some fruit spreads, and maybe even a little dark chocolate. Ed Milet is an American entrepreneur and peak performance expert. He is a best-selling author and global keynote speaker, recently named Top 50 Wealthiest Under 50. Ed has a powerful message and delivers those messages with explosive energy. It's no wonder that Tony Robbins personally called him and told him to start spreading his message to the world. With that, please enjoy this fired-up conversation with Ed Milet. This is the Skinny Confidential, him and her. You look really young. Thank you. I'll yeah. take it. You're the only person who thinks that, but thank you. Your energy is young, too. All that matters is that your I'll childlike energy. That I'll give you. Know? I do have that. Ed Milet on the show. We're excited to have you in here. We were shooting the shit. I mean, we basically just did a whole episode before we did, we did this, but I'm happy to jump into it now. Give us a little bit of background. Where are you from? Where'd you grow up? Uh, from originally born in Boston. 
left there when I was uh, five years old, and that's where I was telling you that I met my wife. So I grew up in Southern California, I grew up in a town called Diamond Bar, sort of lower middle class where my family's from, and I come from a really, really good family, but like a lot of families, there's dysfunction in mine. My dad was a really heavy alcoholic my whole upbringing. Who's now, he's sober, he's now my best friend, but so, you know, like a lot of people, I come from a, like a real family, like there was a lot of stuff and anxiety and stress and stuff like that in my family, but nothing one way or the other that would show you like a proclivity to what I would accomplish or not accomplish in my life. Just a good, honest, loving, screwed up family. That's where I come from. What did, what did that alcoholism look like? Was it, did it result in, in abuse or did it result in just being disconnected? That's the word. Perfect. Yeah. Disconnected. My dad was a loud drunk, but not abusive. Gone. Disconnected. There's a lot of good with it though, man. There's, ironically, like everything happens for you, not to you. Honestly, one of the good things, I was the oldest boy. I've got three younger sisters. One of the cool things, my dad used to say this, I think when he knew maybe he was going to go kind of drink for a while, he'd go, look, and this is, I'm talking like five, six years old. He'd say, look, you're the man of the house. You take care of your sisters and your mom. I think he kind of knew when stuff was coming on. And I'll tell you how weird, what do you call it, God or is. When I was a little boy, it's a crazy story. People with alcohol or drug addiction, their family would relate to this. He would tell me that. And so I would sleep. I would go to bed and then I would get up and sleep in front of the front door of our house. I'd go get my little blanket and my pillow. I'm talking five, six years old. And I'd sleep in front of the front door to protect my mom and my sisters from the bad guys who were going to come in the house. That is so sweet. Isn't that crazy? That's like, really, really sweet. And what was nuts is then I have a son. The Bible talks about the sins of the father, whether you believe that or not. I'm a Christian, but you don't have to believe that to believe this. When my son was little, this is no joke, uh, Max was like three, four years old. I'd find him sleeping in front of our front door. And he has a loving, really beautiful family. And I just think, man, it's like all these things when you're a parent or even a young person going to have kids someday, like you don't even, you can't even begin to imagine the impact your behavior has on generations of people. Like my dad's drinking somehow affected my son and he wasn't even alive when my dad was drinking. It was like, how do you nuts. think he picked something like that up? Cause this is like a, maybe a fear-based reaction sleeping in front of the door like that. Cause you're, you know, your dad's gone. You're worried about someone coming in the house, but how does that get passed on to your son? Because how does he even see that? I have no idea. And I, I, that, that's crazy. the one thing of all the interviews I've ever done. I've only said this on one other interview. It's the one question I know definitively. I'm not sure what the answer is. You know, like I'm not the person who thinks he knows everything. What I do think is I also raised my son in such a way where I wanted to be a protector and strong and all those other things. But in no way should he have known to go down the stairs at my house and sleep in front of our front door. Like it's bananas. There's no alcoholism, no drug addiction, no abuse, no raised voices in my house. So I don't know. That That's crazy. crazy. You'll have to ask him one day. I have asked him a bunch and of times because he's 17 now. He doesn't remember doing it. But I can tell you that the good part though, where I was going with my dad's drinking is it made me, because I want everyone to, they all have their story. It's not the events of your life that matter. It's the meaning you take from an event, right? I chose as a young guy to take the right meaning from my dad's drinking, which was a chance for me to step up, to be... The only thing I lost was I didn't have a childhood, really. I was never a little boy. You know what I mean? I was always... You ever, you ever meet someone like that? Like, they're just so mature for their age. But the upside of that was really any adversity that's presented itself in my life at any point, I felt like I could handle because I was put in that position when I was a little guy. And the last thing I'll tell you, my career started in a group home in San Dimas called McKinley Home for Boys. I baseball career ended out of college, unemployed. My dad comes home from an AA meeting. Picture this. This is people, how'd you make millions of dollars in business? Here's how I made millions of dollars in business. My dad got sober. He's at an AA meeting. I'm unemployed. He comes back and goes, I got you a job tomorrow morning, 6 a.m. McKinley. It's a campus of group homes, like hundreds of boys. 
I'm like, what is it? He goes, I don't know. Show up there. Tim hires you. I walk in there the next morning at six, say, Hey, I'm Eddie Milet. I'm here for the job. They're like, what job? I'm like, I, I don't know. My dad told me to, and they go, well, when you come back, when you know what the job is, I'm like, shit, I don't know what the job is. So I start to hit the door and I go, the guy's name's Tim. They're like, nah, we don't know him. I'm like, well, I, I think he might be like an alcoholic. Cause Oh, drunk Tim cottage eight, go to cottage eight. And I walk into this cottage and my life changed. All of the boys, I had eight to 10 year old boys. There were 11 of them. All of my boys were wards of the court. They were taken from their parents. Their parents either molested them, were incarcerated, or were dead. And immediately, my life changed. I connected with these boys in a way that you cannot even imagine. It became like their dad. I'd live with them holidays, the whole thing. And the reason I could connect with them is I know what it's like to grow up with that kind of anxiety. And so my whole life, when my dad was drinking, I was a little boy sleeping in front of that front door. I had no idea, but it was preparing me to walk in the door for those boys. And my business life changed because I fell in love. I was such an egomaniac when I was young as an athlete. I went, oh, I love helping people. I love making a difference. My whole life flipped when I walked into that home and I worked there for almost three years. It changed my whole life. I was going to ask you this later because you talk about it a lot and I've been researching you, but I'll ask you now because you brought it up. You say things happen for you mm-hmm. and not to you. Mm-hmm. Can you tell this audience or elaborate a little bit more for this audience? Yeah. A lot of people say that, but I actually, so whether I'm right or not, doesn't matter. I believe it. So it serves me. Right. So I think everything in your life is the meaning you take from something. Good examples. My dad, again, my dad's got, I was driving out here, coming here today. My dad's got cancer. He's going through chemo. And, uh, and in fact, my dad right now is going to his cardiologist cause he's got some wrong with his heart. Like his AFib's going nuts. So my dad's real sick right now. And you'd say, well, that's a horrific event, right? Like, what could possibly be good about that? But there is. There's tons of good from it. There's obviously all the bad. I could acknowledge all that. But the good is my time with my dad's super precious, where I was taking it a little bit for granted, right? My time with my own kids is precious to me right now. I'm more aware of my own health and the choices and decisions I'm making with my own health. So there's been all of these ripple effects. I'm totally... The other thing... Things are way more in perspective for me right now since my dad got sick. Like, really, my, there, there's a flood at my beach house or, like, you know, we're out of groceries or something. You know, like, my wife didn't buy milk. Like, really, that's big of a deal. Like, everything becomes in perspective because of what's going on with my dad. So all of these events, Mother Teresa said the greatest honor of her life was to be present when someone died. So me and you drive down the street. We see a head-on collision at a, at a stoplight be the most horrific event ever to see a seven-year-old kid die in front of us, right? That's the meaning we'd take. It's a normal meaning. She'd take what a privilege to be with somebody as their soul passes to heaven. Same exact event, two totally different meanings they, we would take away from it, right? So the quality of your life is made up by the meanings you attach to events that happen to you. Wow. That's yeah. crazy. <laughs> Are we going too deep? No, 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 We're not going too deep. Okay. We're never too deep. Okay. So I want to talk about how you met your wife in kindergarten. Yeah. Because yeah. that's a pretty incredible story yeah. with what you guys have built. I mean, it's that's pretty insane. Thank you. Well, talk, talk you and you guys met really young, too. So 12 years old, but not kindergarten. That. Yeah, we beat you there. So, But we're also a lot older than you. So, yeah, I walked into kindergarten the first day, and it was, I'm white. My wife, although she doesn't look at it like it right now, she's Mexican. And so I, I came home from school the first day, and I told my mom, actually. Then I told my dad, I said, I said, Mommy, there's a brown girl. 
in the kindergarten class. I love her. I want to marry her. And uh, I don't know. I just like the dark skin or something at the time. And so we met then. And then, yeah, we dated in high school. Had a little breakup for a while. But we've been together for a really, really long time. So, And the, the cool thing about that, too, is like I know she doesn't love me for money because she loved me way before I had any of that, for sure. That's nice. Yeah. What do you, what do you tell young couples when they're looking to get into – like, you know, we get a lot of these questions probably because we do this couple show for longevity in a relationship. What would you say is like maybe the one or two most important – let me give you one that no one says because it's cheesy. Sure. So th- no one's going to ever say this on a show because everyone's like, well, you got to be best friends. You got to be this. Here's a big one. And it sounds like superficial as hell. And everyone should tell someone this. You better really be attracted to them. <laughs> like you better really think they're hot and you better be able to maintain that. Do you think I'm hot? So I, ch- I yeah. checked that box. Yeah. If you don't think she's hot, you have major problems, right? So <laughs> well, I would be You're be visually blind. impaired to yeah. an d- extent that goes way beyond that. <laughs> But, and both of you are obviously beautiful people, but like, so I know that would be not the first reaction, but like, so you've asked that question probably before. Most of the answers are the same, but I've been in a long-term relationship, really long-term. Okay. And I, so I'm now at an age at 47 where I've watched a lot of really good relationships, not be that way anymore. And obviously growing together is important. Obviously trust and all these things somebody would say into a microphone, have trust, have honesty, have open communication, right? All that stuff's true. But I've also had friends have all that stuff and just literally lose physical attraction to each other. And then, here's why relationships break up most of the time, okay, if we're being blunt. Someone cheats. I love if you're being blunt. Someone cheats. Most relationships break up because somebody cheats. That's why, okay? And so part of having a great relationship doesn't mean to both be beautiful. My God, I'm 47 years old. I don't look anything like I used to, right? She does, but I don't. But there's a way of maintaining intimacy, of touching each other a particular way, of staying connected physically. So my point is you better stay physically connected to one another. Otherwise, you will wake up at some point and you are living with your friend, your buddy. And I have lots of buddies, lots of friends, none of which I want to be married to. And so if you're going to be in a long-term relationship, you have to have all of those other things. But both of you have an obligation or responsibility to stay intimately connected to each other physically. And this is something I don't think that's talked about enough because it's superficial and it doesn't sound fair I'm not saying both of you need to look like Ken and Barbie like the two of you do. That's not what I'm (laughs) suggesting, right? I'm saying that you need to keep physical intimacy in your relationship. That can be how you hold hands, you know? But if you watch couples, go to a restaurant. When you're in a restaurant, you can almost tell which couples are still in love with each other just literally by how they interact with each other. Do they lean into each other? Do they put their hands on each other? Are they still physically connected? And And the young people even listening to this right now, they know exactly what I'm talking about. Like they've been in relationships where somehow the physical intimacy goes away. You're going down the wrong path, man, when that happens. Is there anything that you do for your wife that's like really sweet? It doesn't have to be anything big. It could be something just like bringing her coffee in the morning. She does that for me every morning. Yes. But yeah, I think. Lauren, are you taking notes here? No, because yeah. I want you to do that for <laughs> no, me. I know. She actually does that. She did it for me this morning too. Yeah. I think we both do little things for each other. I think one of the big things that I do for her is I tell her how beautiful she is constantly. I tell her how much I love her constantly. Here's one little thing I do really well that I didn't used to do well. When she begins to speak, I put my phone down, like literally out of my hand. And I, <laughs> and I make eye contact with her and listen to her, right? And so, like, I'm a guy. So there was a lot of that. Are you listening to me? Hello, I'm talking to you. Can you put your... And there's a lot of that. And I went, oh, this really tells her I'm not interested or I don't care. So once the voice starts, I just put it down. I go, yeah, babe. And I look at her and I let her talk to me. This may seem small. And then when we're done with that, then I'm like, okay, now I can go back to doing what I'm doing. So I I do that. And then I have children. 
So the biggest thing I do for my wife is I rave to my children about her, even when she's not there. Well, I think that's extremely important. We, t- I, we have... I- we don't have kids yet, but we talk about, you know, parents kind of like being divisive and yeah. pitting one. I think that's the worst thing from not from someone that's doesn't have children, yet, but observing it. I watched my parents do it. You yeah. know, when there was a contention, I knew it. And so my kids don't know it. And I just go out of their way. Like when I'm driving with them in the car and it's just me and them, I'll say little, I'm getting emotional even saying it, but I'll say little things to my daughter. Like, you know how much I love your mom. It's important. Your mom is so amazing. And it's pro- she's probably doesn't know 99 out of 100 times I'm telling my kids this, but my kids know. You know, and about once in a while they get back to her they go, "You know, daddy talks about you." And like that I know that that just that's a small thing that by the way, and I feel it, so it's easy for me to do, but certainly that's that's a that's a significant thing I think I do. Can we talk about my favorite vitamin, a vitamin that I have been taking for months and months that I can fully recommend to you guys that you're going to love? Let's discuss. So it's called Ritual. You know this if you're a TSC reader or listener. And it's the chicest vitamin on the market. But not only is it chic, you guys, it's effective. So this vitamin is vegan, sugar-free, non-GMO, gluten-free, and allergen-free. But let's get to the most important details, okay? So it has omega-3 in it, iron, vitamin E, magnesium, and folate. It also has the nine essential ingredients that women lack the most. So you know as a woman, you're getting what you need. I keep these vitamins in its container. I actually don't have to take it out of the container like I do with tons of vitamins because the container is cute. It's like this lucite situation. I keep it right next to my toothbrush. So in the morning, I wake up and I take my vitamins and then I brush my teeth. And what's even cooler about these vitamins is you could even take them after you brush your teeth if you want because it has a peppermint essence in the cap and it makes them taste super minty. So I'm very much about being able to take them any time of day. It doesn't have to be the morning so you don't get that shocky vitamin taste that we don't like. One thing that I love about Ritual too is if you go to their site, it's ritual.com slash skinny, you can really get a clear picture of what the vitamin is. It's a very simple, easy to use website. You go on the site and it tells you all about the research. So it tells you the ingredients, who Ritual is, and tons of frequently asked questions. So you can kind of get everything in one swoop. There's nine essential nutrients. It breaks it down. It tells you the research. Definitely check out the site and do your own research. Be your own guru. 95% of women do not get the vitamins and minerals they need on a daily basis. Fun fact for you. Ritual created a smarter vitamin with the nine essential nutrients women lack most. So go to ritual.com skinny now and choose clean ingredients that are backed by science. Sign up at ritual.com slash skinny. I'm curious. You said that your wife met you before you had any money or had a business. What can you walk us through where you were at when you guys reconnected and where you were and how you sort of built the business with her? Yeah, great question. When we reconnected, um, I was finishing college, but when we re- first got married, I had done pretty good. Like right before we got married, I was like, I don't know, maybe like, a, and this was a long time ago, but I was a young guy, like 21, 22 years old. I was making like 150 grand a year. I had a couple houses. And then right when we got married, I went busted broke, like really broke. Like we're talking lost a house. And then we moved into an apartment. And I remember, vividly remember the story. I'll tell you really quickly. But I remember her coming. She had to get a job. We were in the same business together. And I needed her to go just pay our bills, right? She went and got a job. And she came out in the morning to go to work. And she came up. She goes, you're not going to believe this. My car got stolen. And I'm like, this could, there could not be a worse time for us to get a car stolen. And it was worse than that. I found out later in the day it wasn't stolen. It was repoed. 
And so then we were down to one car. Then our electricity got turned off, which you can get away with all that in life. But you, the worst thing possible happened is our water got turned off. I went so broke. Our second year of marriage, second month of marriage, our water got turned off. Imagine this as a husband. And we would get up every morning in our apartment, pick our stuff up, and we would walk down in the cold to the pool, the apartment pool outside. And there was a shower there, no door on it. And we would shower and brush our teeth in that pool shower every morning. And I'd hold a towel up so no one could see her. Then we'd gather our stuff up and walk back up the stairs of our apartment, just so emasculated and ashamed as a man. You know what I mean? That yeah. I was putting my bride through that. We eventually got our water. You can't, you can't even eat when you don't have water. You can't cook food, right? We eventually got through that time. And I reflect on that all the time. Like she was so wonderful through those times. It could have been really difficult and didn't beat me up, still believed in me. She was the person believing in me when I didn't believe in myself during those times. And so when you do become wealthy and you have those shared experiences, it's definitely something that, you know, I reflect on all the time. Like not only is she not with me, not for the money, but I wouldn't have the money had she not believed in me during the tough times. And all of you listeners who are in tough times in your relate in your financial part, if you're in a relationship, you will remember someday how you treated one another during these times, good or bad. Just remember that. So are you going to remember how you've treated me in the move? <laughs> I, we, yeah, we've been going through a move up here. Oh, I heard way. about it in the elevator. I it's said it. I have two moves until we get divorced. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the worst on the moves because somehow I always time oh. our moves. Let me tell you what I've done brilliantly. When we move, and we've moved a lot, I seem to be like out of town during the packing part. So like she ends up doing almost like if you said, what's the worst part of our marriage? She would say the moves and not just because we moved, but because she does all of the packing. (laughs) When I, when I started researching you, I found you very interesting because in a lot of ways you're an anomaly. One, you came out of nowhere, which we got to talk about, Mm -hmm. but two, you're, you're this big masculine guy that has a very strong message, not as, not scared to say what's on your mind. And then like I saw a video that, with you and your, and your little white dog. Oh, Lily, yeah. Yeah, and I have little white little dogs too, but it's just so interesting, you know, the way if you were to look at you without hearing the way you speak, you would think one thing and it's completely different. And I just mm. find it so interesting. Can you explain to people how like you, you built your social account for 18 months now, as you're saying? Yeah. Where did where did you come from and why did you get interested at this point in your life, already successful, interested in social media? Thank you for saying that, by the way. So the reason that I got on social media was I've been speaking on large stages for a very long time, many, many years, and also coaching, mentoring on the mental side of their game. A lot of athletes, entertainers, people that you would probably know. And uh, a long time, all of them were like, hey, you ought to like write a book or like tell people about this. Or And I loved being a private person because I'm... People say they don't believe in this, but I do. I'm naturally shy. I'm naturally pretty introverted, and I'm, I enjoy being quiet. Like, I enjoy it, right? And I would watch the lifestyles of my famous clients thinking, man, it's cool. I can go have a bottle of wine and dinner with my wife, and we're alone, and they can't. And then Tony Robbins, is a good friend, just basically challenged me one day, <laughs> not very politely, that I was going to be a loser in my life, basically, if I did not step into this space and help people and take my message around the Which world. Which is interesting to put some context, like you were already a winner by a lot of standards. Yeah. You were already financially stable, had a good business, speaking already, so. Yeah, probably based on those standards, but Tony and I both, and you do too, like I really measure my my standard of my life by the difference that I'm making for people. It's not that I want more money or recognition. Of course I do. Everybody likes significance. I want to grow, but like you start to get around 40, man, you do start to go through some midlife analysis where you're like, what have I made a difference in? What's the contribution I've made outside my family? If your family's one, my family's one, my children are happy. 
we've done well financially, we've made a difference there, we're philanthropic, all this stuff. But like, what if I'm, am I, this sounds corny, but am I maxing out my God-given ability and experiences? And the answer to that was like, not even close. So he sort of pushed me really hard. And then I just started creating content, like speaking into the microphone, what I've been teaching people privately for years. And it's just, people have responded like in a big way. And in terms of my personality, I'm a really, like, I'm a big believer in vulnerability. Like just be vulnerable on the uh, one thing no one talks about is on the other side of like everything you want is your willingness to be vulnerable. Like for your relationship to be great, you have to eventually go through a vulnerable phase where you take the risk when you were chasing her right on the other side of vulnerability is risk. And so I decided if I'm going to be out there, I'm gonna be like really me. So yeah, I have a deep voice and I lift weights and all that other stuff. And I am a very intense dude. Like you wouldn't want to, you know, compete. I hopefully you don't want to compete against me. Right. But on the other side of it is probably because of my upbringing, I have a really, uh, I have three sisters and a mom that I was in the care of for a long time. So I have a, maybe a sensitivity or a affection for women in a way that maybe not all strong men have. And I'm willing to be vulnerable with my emotions that way. Cause I have weaknesses. I have insecurities to this day. I, I, I struggle with my own mental toughness and I fight a little, maybe a touch of depression once in a while I get down, you know, like everybody does. So I just figured if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. I want people to be able to relate to me because I don't think, like both of you have this, probably been everybody relates to every part of my life, right? So it, I could play that role. I'd be like, look, I'm kind of a jacked up dude. I got a great family. I got a jet. I got three houses on beaches. I could play all that BS and act like my life's perfect and like be just like me. Or I could be real and say, actually, I'm just like you. I'm just like you. There's two ways people walk into a room, man. One person walks in a room and goes, here I am. The best people walk into a room and go, there you are. Mm -hmm. They're totally different people. And I, I have chosen in my life as I've started to have some successes, I don't want to be here I am. Be like me. I'm amazing. Look, no, I'm, I'm like you. And the truth is I am. I have insecurities. I have weaknesses, deficiencies. And I've gotten to where I've gotten in life knowing what they are. And I got the tools, strategies, and tactics to help you do it. So that's sort of how I roll. What is the most important thing Tony Robbins has taught you, but what is the most important thing you've taught Tony Robbins? Wow. Tony's taught me so many things. Wow. I also will tell you, this isn't the most important thing, but I will say something about him that I love. I think he has some of what you just described too, meaning that he's larger than life, six seven, six eight, gigantic Most dude. charisma. We I've never seen anything We like wanted to so speak. I, I could not charisma. believe how long that guy speaks for. It, it's he's a he's a force. It's of almost nature. like not he's humanly like possible. Alien. He's like an alien. He'll go 12, 15 hours I on stage, it. full I, speed, I multiple it. days, and then get off the stage. By the way, and do more. Trust me, off the stage. So I'll give you what he gave me. One thing that he certainly has taught me is um, what my capacity is. Meaning, when I think I'm hitting something hard, my schedule's busy, my travel, the things I'm trying to pack into a day. Uh, my association with him shows me a dude even busier, even contributing more even getting after it. Also, because he's older than me, I can look forward and go, wow, I can have that energy at 60. I can still be making a difference. I could be better at 60 than I am at 47. So he's given me, he's given me tons of things like that. But the big thing that Tony's given me is I know how to get into a peak state. 
I know how to change my state to perform at my ultimate maxed out level through the tools that he's taught me to do that. That's a great gift to know that I don't really at any time I can be at my ultimate best in my performance. And so he's taught me to do that. So how do you do that if you're feeling depressed? You said you sometimes experience depression. How do you completely just change to your peak state? I wish it were that easy, but I get asked that on my show a lot. One of the things that you, depression is, is depression's not just a mood. Depression is a physiology. So depression is something you actually begin to do physically. You start to hunch over. You breathe more shallow. You... Um, you get tight. There's things you actually do. And so what I do to get out of my depression is number one, I have to force myself to move physically. Meaning I get up and I get, I go work out. I go for a run. I go for a jog. I do. You think this is fake. You cannot possibly be in a peak state physically and feel depressed and working out. This may sound kind of, I'm pushing the envelope here, but laughter, what is that deep breathing? Ah, opened up, right? You're not hunched over. Ecstasy when you're with your partner is a certain breathing and move, right? You can't be depressed in that moment of the best part of that, right? Like you can't do that. When you're working out, you can't be depressed. So you can't physically simultaneously move your body to a peak state and feel depression or down. The second thing is everyone talks about it, but I'm good at it now. I flood myself with gratitude, tons and tons of gratitude. And in my role now, it's pretty easy because I get sick children and different people approaching me for help all the time. But I give myself gratitude for all the things that I'm alive, that I don't have cancer, that my heart's functioning, that I've got, you know, a bed that I can sleep in every night. A big one for me, as hokey as it sounds, is like, I'm so freaking grateful. I live right on the ocean, right on the lake and in some pretty cool places. I'm not bullshitting you. Not every morning. Okay. Not every morning, but some mornings when I pull the shower on the fount or the faucet of my shower and the water hits me in the face, like this massive flood of gratitude hits me because of those months when I had no shower. So I find things to be grateful for. So I shift my physiology. I flood myself with gratitude. And most of the time I can get out of that space that I'm in. The last thing you want one more. I want one more. One more is you find someone else to contribute to. Like you just go, I'm going to force my freaking self right now to call someone, tell them I love them, compliment them, help them, open a door, donate money, say thank you, something where you get out of your freaking self. Because depression is one of the most selfish emotions you could possibly experience because it's all about you. That's what I you used do. to call my grandma when I felt down and she would say, get outside yourself. Yeah, there Get you go. outside yourself, there always. You, there you go. She, what grandma is so- was right. <laughs> grandma was right. What is something that you think that you've taught Tony Robbins? Yeah, I didn't get a chance to answer that. I've taught him probably some humility. Uh, <laughs> and what I mean by that is not to take himself too seriously because we all get all of these accolades. And, and I think that sometimes, not in his case he doesn't, but in sometimes maybe that, that you, you don't take it for granted, but maybe you don't hear it. And I'm like, no, you really are making a difference. Enjoy it. Celebrate it. You're incredible. And I think that that's, that takes humility. Like when you say, ah, oh, thank you, and you don't feel it, you're like, I know. I know. You know, that's not humility. And so it's just enjoying that. And and also, I think I've taught him that, I think I've taught him that, hey, man, you really are making a difference in the world, even with a friend. Because you have this too. There's like this thing where people follow you here, and then you have your friends. And sometimes those two things aren't the same with he and I, it's the same. Like I listen, I'm coachable, I'm respectful. And I give him that. And the other thing I think I've given him too is probably he may disagree with this when he hears it. It's okay to be wealthy. So there was a long time where Tony just gave and gave and gave and gave and gave to people and maybe didn't take care of himself and focus on his own wealth and his own well-being. And maybe just the conversations we've had about some money situations have made him more 
open to being wealthy himself, which he has become. So I think I've helped there. So let's talk about money a little bit. And, and I believe personally that this is a losing formula. But what would you tell the people out there that say, Ed, maybe you don't get it. Like I'm living paycheck to paycheck. Mm-hmm. You don't relate to me. What what message would you have for people that have that mindset? Yeah, I would say I totally relate to you because I lived paycheck to paycheck for a long time. And so that's a cop out. <laughs> I will tell you this. If you don't learn to say, if you can't learn to be both happy now and save some money now based on where you are, listen to what I'm going to tell you, everybody play this back. When you get a bunch of money, you will not save any of it and you will not be happy. So you have to find a way when you're in scarcity to still save 10 or 20% of what you make. Like don't go to Starbucks, don't pay for Netflix, don't have Pandora, whatever it is, find a way to build the habits because it's your habits and rituals that rule your life. And people always think, well, I'm only making 60,000 a year, but if I got to a hundred thousand a year, then I'd start saving money. Uh, no, you won't. What you'll go is you'll go from your Honda to a BMW. You'll go from eating fast food to eating at Mastro's, and you'll end up with exactly the same thing, except you'll probably be in greater debt. So you have to build the habits when you're not. And in terms of happiness, this is a biggie. Most people, because I used to think, I'm going to delay my happiness until another destination, until I find the right relationship, until I make enough money, until I get those shoes, until I buy that house, until, until. And you're delaying something to a future time and place. The challenge with that is you are going to bring you, your identity, and your habits, and your self-worth with you to that place when you get there. And I can tell you for sure at 47 and having coached thousands of people and spoken to millions that when you get there, you will be no happier when the circumstances change. You have to learn to be happy in the place you are now. And by the way, that'll be a greater catalyst to get you where you think you want to be anyway. When you were living and you were going downstairs and showering at the pool, how did you come out of that and build a business coming from that? Like what's what's the steps that you took to get there? What are the habits? Like how did you set the foundation for what you do now? Great question. By the way, maybe the best interview I've had. So Because you know what it is, is people, like what I always try to get out of people like you mm-hmm. is, you know, we, we know the struggle mm-hmm. and we know the end result, but yeah. like, what does it look like in between? Yeah. And and we t- we talked a little bit about this earlier. Like there's a lot of people peddling information. Yeah. I don't think you're one of them, Thank you. but the, the concrete steps people can take mm-hmm. to go from, and I'll, and I'll use this word. I don't want to call it, really, but from losing to winning. Yeah. In, in, in life. Yep. One of the differences, I actually documented it because I wanted to teach it someday. And I had met so many successful people who could not freaking explain to me how they did it. I thought, yep. didn't you pay any attention to yourself? So I thought, you know, when I go through this, I'm going to pay attention to what I did. So I, there, there's a lot I could cover, but I'll give you a few. I would be remiss as a person of faith if I didn't tell you that I think God had a lot to do with it. I'm just going to tell that straight up, okay? But what part did I do? Because even the Bible says that, you know, there's this great parable in the Bible about plant the parable of the sower. It requires both you and God. In other words, you plant these seeds and eventually there's a harvest. God will provide a harvest if you plant the seeds. Too many people never plant any damn seeds. And so here's some things I did that were dramatically different. Number one, I, I was out of control when I was broke. Most people, when you're broke, you just feel out of control all the time. You're reacting and responding constantly. Everyone's nodding their head hearing this right now. I'm like, I have to get control of my damn life. So I thought, I can't control all the external stuff. So what I'm going to do, A, is I'm going to control the first 30 minutes of my day and the last 30 minutes of my day. That will give me some probability of control over the middle. So I started to build a 30-minute habit and ritual that is very structured when I begin my day. And I have a last 30 minutes of my day. And by the way, everyone that knows me, especially my wife, will tell you, this is non-negotiable. We're on vacation in Cabo. I've had three bottles of wine. 
I'm telling you, unless it's really bad and I've passed out or something, which is pretty rare every 10 years, I do this even on vacation. So I have my first 30 and my last 30, and it started to give me a lot of control over the middle of my day. That's in my book. You can watch it, or I even have an audio on it, what those habits are for me. So control over the first 30 and last 30. Second thing is I had to change my self-confidence. Self-confidence is self-trust. Self-confidence is the process. It's very simple if you want to become more self-confident. It's the process of keeping the promises you make to you. So when I meet someone who's really self-confident, like when I met you, I don't think you have a big ego. I think you're someone who repetitiously in your life has built a reputation with yourself that when you tell yourself you're going to do something, you do it. That's how you build self-confidence. You called it pretty right. And when I meet someone who doesn't have self-confidence, this is someone who has habitually not kept the promises they make to themselves. So for me, it started with my body. Okay, I was not in great shape. I can't control what a client says or who buys or what people think, but I can control when I get up in the morning if I go through my 30-minute routine. I can control whether I get to the gym. I can control the sets I do. I can control what I put in my mouth. And if I start to keep those physical promises, it always starts with physical for me. If I can keep those promises to myself, it starts to transition into other areas of our lives. Our confidence changes. So that's that. And the third last thing, to give you a full answer, is I went to work, I understood from reading Tony stuff prior to knowing him that you will never exceed in your life what your identity is. And I've morphed that version of his into my own, which is your identity or your self-worth is like a thermostat sitting on the wall of your life. It's, it's a little warm in here right now, right? It sets the temperature of the room, a thermostat does. So no matter what blows in that room, you're going to get 72 degrees if it's set at that, right? So if we open this door, freezing cold air came in here, that thermostat will regulate, heat the room back up to 72. If hot air came in here, it will cool the room back down. That's your internal identity. What you Identity is the thoughts, concepts, and beliefs you hold to be true about you. Here's the deal. You will never long-term in your life exceed the set thermostat temperature of your identity, ever. So if you're a 72 degreeer, everyone's watched this. Your life starts going good. You're making more money. You close a big sale. Life's happy. You're in a great relationship. You're living at 85. But inside, you're a 72 set thermostat. You're going to drop back down. You're going to find a way unconsciously. You don't even know, man. Car breaks down. Appointments cancel. You get sick. Whatever. You get back down to 72 degrees. Same is also true if that stuff gets freezing. You can't eat. The water's turned off. You can't shower. You find a way to heat it back up to your identity. So the key in life is that routine, habits and rituals, self-confidence, and changing that identity from 72 to 85 to 90 to 200, et cetera, et cetera. And believing it constantly. Reinforcing it, too. What are three habits that you could give to our audience that they can go implement today? Okay, for changing your identity? For changing your identity. Okay, for identity, uh, identity is almost always association, okay? So, for example, and by the way, you have multiple identities. You have a spiritual one, a fitness one, a happiness one, a, a money one. So let's just use money. You, everyone says this, but they don't know why. You're, you're who the five people are you hang around. Why? Why the hell does that matter? Because uh, uh, the most powerful force in the world to change identity is association. And by the way, then the proximity to that association, right? So for me, if I want to change my financial, right now, let's just thank God, I'm about 150 degree or financially. You're doing really well, so this has nothing to do with you. Let's say someone was sitting here who was at 70. If they hung around me every day for the next two years, they're no longer a 70-degree or identity. They've been on my jet. They've been at oceanfront houses. They see how I think, talk, feel. They're probably at 120. So one is you've got to upgrade your associations in the areas. If you're not in shape, you've got to begin to associate with fit people. If you want more spiritual happiness, you need to add people who live spiritually at a higher identity than you. Okay, but here's the other side of that. 
is to get rid of the people that bring it down. That's but that's what I want. That's the hard go part. On yeah. Because I I feel like I want to bring more of those kinds of people in my life. But to do that, sometimes you have to allow other people to go. That's the hardest part of your life. That's that I have such an I don't know if that's I am just guilty and that's yep. a, a feminine quality. Not at all. No, I think it's, it's a, it, both it gives me so much anxiety. Yes. That I almost am like, what do I do here? Yeah. Okay. So. So glad you're asking me this. So an overcooked thing is they're always dropping people. So there are 10 or 20% of the people that you think you need to drop that you actually need to drop. Meaning they are antagonistic to you. You don't know it, but they're actually out to cause you harm. Those people need to be out of your life. But I've kept friends around from high school. And let's just be real. My will to win and the other associations I've added are so much stronger than the fact that they live at 60 degrees. And so, yeah, there are some people, if they're antagonistic to you, if they're hating on you, if they're pulling against you, if they're willfully trying to harm you, and by the way, more of them may be than you think, okay? Those people need to be out. But just kind of like your funny buddy who's not driven, who lays in the corners eating Cheetos. and But that's okay. I think those people, there's a place for it. To be honest with you, when I'm around some of those people sometimes, and this is perverted, but I still have them in my family, of course, right? Kind of observing my awareness of where they are almost feeds my own identity. Like, God bless them, man. Like, man, am I, I'm proud of me. I'm really, it's almost a loving sadness I have for them, right? So, yeah, you may need to discard someone who's against you, but you better pour your energy into addition in your life. That's one way. The second way you change your identity, by the way, is in a short window of time like a compressed window, doing an extraordinary amount of activity towards that thing where you shock your system into believing you're no longer the previous person, okay? So that can be an amount of phone calls in business, an amount of accounts you get, the way you shift your workout or you're eating dramatically in a short window. You just change the water line in your life, right? And so there's all there, there's a lot of other ways to change it, reading, listening. But the biggest one is the proximity of the influence. So like I told you, we won't say who, who I'm going to go have lunch with after this, Right. If you had children, you would be concerned about who their teacher is because their teacher has influence over them. But a teacher is like a mentor. Everyone's always looking for a mentor, right, which you should find. Mentors and teachers have influence. But as a parent, I'm not so much worried about their teachers. You know what I'm worried about? Their friends. Friends are the highest form of influence over a human. So what I did is I started, I wanted to have mentors. I'd read their books. I'd go to their seminars. I'd follow their social media. But then I started to shift. For a few of them, I'm going to work my ass off at turning them into friends. If I can turn them into friends, now my life's going to change. And so I didn't just want mentors. I want friends. Like you talked about, we met, we want to hang out. I'm not saying I'm great, but the best thing you could do is you don't want me to be your mentor. We become real friends. We become real friends. I have major influence over your identity now, and you do mine. And so that's what I try to do is build friends that shift my identity. Rituals in the morning. I know you've talked mm-hmm. a little bit about it. Yeah. What's the first thing you do when your eyes open? Okay, first thing I don't do is that I will not check my phone the first 30 minutes that I wake up. That will be the hardest and most difficult and most productive decision you will make in your existence here as a human being. Is if you can learn to go 30 minutes without checking that thing, because what's on that phone is what's wrong, problems, reactions, responses, and you will now start your day reacting. So I don't get to it for 30 minutes. So here's what I do do. I get up, I do do a form of meditation and prayer, and I do something freezing cold every morning that shocks my system. So don't get too dramatic with this, but I do jump in the ocean, jump in the lake, I take a cold shower, or I just at least splash cold water on my face. It immediately, that's the minimum, immediately shifts your complete nervous system into fight or flight mode, peak state immediately. You are fully alive and awake. 
And so and then I get warm. The mistake people hear when they hear this, they don't get warm after they end up catching colds all the time. So I do something really cold that's grueling for like 30 seconds to a minute every single morning. It altered my existence as a human also, okay? The more I started to speak about this, other successful people, I'm talking about like mega successful people that I know came forward to me and go, my God, so do I. That's exactly what I do. I go through a gratitude ritual where I ask myself what I'm grateful for, who do I love, who loves me. It's in my book. I go through a ritual where I just flood myself. Why? It's a part of your brain called the reticular activating system. I'm only going to cover this really quickly. <laughs> the RAS is the filter in your life that keeps you sane. It filters into your, your consciousness only what you believe to be totally true or that matters to you. It filters everything else out so you can be sane. Okay. Otherwise you'd feel the blood through your left ear. You'd feel the car driving behind you here in the window. So it only filters to you what matters to you. If you could start to control what that filter is, your whole freaking world is different. And so the reason I start my day with all the things I want, like really want, and what I'm grateful for is my mind goes to work on trying to find more things to be grateful for, more things to grow my brand, more things to acquire more money. And it literally filters into my consciousness, my eyes, ears, and touch, see things you don't because they're in my filter and not yours. So we could be in a restaurant. I have a business. Three tables down, someone's talking about what they need and it's my problem. Product. Believe it or not, my subconscious, my filter lets me, you ever been in a restaurant, you can hear someone three tables away, why do I hear them? And other times you don't, right? The reason is the conversation they're having matters to you. And now you can't not hear it. Why is that? That's because it filtered through your RAS. So if you could control your RAS to be filtering in the people that are talking about your business, your product, your service, whatever matters to you, you'll begin to hear, see, and feel things. Your whole filter that you see the world through is revealed differently when you begin to control it. So what I do in the morning to answer your question is I'm feeding myself what I'm grateful for and I'm feeding myself what really I'm focused on and that I want so that my filter goes to find those things for me. It's an amazing strength to have as a, as a, as a business person or just as a human. Before we go, there's a, there's a question that, that's been <laughs> top of mind here that, yeah. that we get a lot. A lot of young people listen to the show and yeah. they're talking about passion. I haven't found my passion. I don't know how to find my passion. Yeah. And I think we're living in a society where, and we talked about this a little bit before we started doing the show, instant gratification. People need to do things right now. Yeah. What advice would you have for young people looking to find their passion? Maybe they haven't figured it out. Mm -hmm. I was one of those people for a long time. Me too. Didn't know what I wanted to do. First off, your passion is usually going to be found in your purpose. So if you can begin to actually think through what your purpose is, right? Like what could your purpose be? What would you do? I'd ask you this self, yourself this first. If, if you couldn't get paid for it, what would you be doing? And I don't, I don't mean like play video games. I mean like if there's something you could spend your time with and you weren't going to be paid to do it, what would that be? That will give you some inclination as to where your purpose is and your passion. And then you need to find a way to monetize it. It has to solve a problem. The other thing is this. The way you really find your passion is you get real. So you need to get real about what some of your giftedness is. Okay, everybody's born, everybody. The reason I don't have an ego, I hope, about where I am is because I was born with some gifts. God gave me a really deep voice, gave me a pretty good way of articulating thoughts. I think pretty quickly, but I'm not good at math. I'm not good at engineering, right? I'm not, I wasn't physically strong when I was young. I don't have a high IQ. Me, my kids, and my wife took an IQ test. I'm fourth in my own house right? So I don't have a lot of those things, but I do have a few. And guess what? So do you. And the more you can begin to identify and be honest with, this is a couple things that, that are giftedness of mine or blessings. I am, and they could be, I'm kind, I'm nurturing, I'm intense, I'm passionate, I'm driven, I'm articulate. I, I'm good with math. I'm good with engineering. I can see things visually. 
uh, I'm a good listener. Whatever that thing is about you, if you could figure out what those two or three gifts are, this will be the pathway to your passion and your purpose. The cruelest thing in the world is when people are in careers that not only aren't their passion, but also isn't their core giftedness. Like this right here, what we're doing. Clearly, this is a gift of yours. Like you're excellent together, right? You're excellent questions. You're. Well, you're, I think we would do this for free. Depends on the day. Well, <laughs> well, today, today you are. But for we, sure, but right? we like, would do this for free. Right, and there you go. We would do it for free. And so, if you do it for free, it might be down your core. If you go to your purpose, it might be where you need to be. And if you can't figure that out, what the hell are you good at? What are you gifted at? And stop being so damn humble. You know what it is. There's things you're great at doing, and in there is your core. And then the last thing, just like I always have to say it, because it's one of my things, is you should pray about it. If you're a praying person or a meditating person, you should put that to a power past you if you believe in one, whether it's the universe, consciousness, Allah, Jesus, you, you tell me whatever it is. But I'm telling you, if you put that out there, something will come back to you. Tell us about your coaching business. I have <laughs> I have a uh, thing called the Arete Syndicate, Arete, A. A-R-E-T-E syndicate.com. It's sold out right now. Me and a guy named Andy Fursella, who maybe some of your folks know, he's a social media influencer also, created a program. One of them is a live sort of Illuminati thing we do in person. It's very expensive. It's sold out. The other one, though, is a monthly program. I told him, I don't want to just help semi-rich people get richer. I want to help, like, I want to take what I did with Dominic Cruz or Terrell Owens or whatever athletes, and I want to do it with someone that's a young, 22, 23-year-old entrepreneur who wants to change your life, wants to be somebody, who freaking doesn't have $70,000 to pay me, yep. right? And so we started something. It's like 200 and something bucks a month. And every week they're in a Facebook group. Every week they're on a live call with Andy or I. I mean, a live call, Q&A with us, our tips. They literally are interacting with us in a mentoring session. And we sold that out. And, but it's, we've just, we just kind of decided like we shouldn't have sold it out. We should have just added more people to the group. And so sometime in the first quarter of, uh, 19, we're going to open that back up. It's very inexpensive. You'd be mentored by me every single month. I'm not selling you on it. If you don't have 200 and something bucks, don't do it, but I might be able to help you be better getting 200 and something bucks if you do it. So where can everyone find you on social? I'm obsessed with your Instagram. Thank you. I actually recently became obsessed with yours. I told you that we got over there. And the, and the show. Like one thing I want to tell your audience, because I said this to you off camera. Maybe I said it on camera. I don't remember. Every show's good. That's very nice. Like every show's good. That's very nice. Did you nice listen to the early ones? <laughs> no, the early ones I wanted to kill him for the first 20. Don't listen to those. No, like, we, I haven't gone back that no, far. Okay, like the last the last 15, the ones you. I've heard, thank like you. every one of them is very excellent. Nice. Well, our guests like you make it make it a little bit easier, but well, um, thank you. Oh, but where, you, where you find me is Instagram, Ed Milet, E-D-M-Y-L-E-T-T. I also have a YouTube channel. I have a pretty well-downloaded podcast on iTunes too. So His podcast is badass. I personally, you guys, I think you would like this one. Start with the Teddy episode. Oh, Teddy Mellencamp? The, yeah, about accountability. Oh, she's awesome. I oh, really and, like that and, one. and we're going to have these guys on too, probably in March. Oh, we can't awesome. wait. Yeah, Thank you cool. so much for coming on. You are such an interesting guy. Thank you. Thank you for doing the show. Here. Thanks. Before you guys go, I'm going to do a giveaway, especially targeted to the hustlers out there. I feel like especially if you've made it this far in this podcast, you take your hustling very seriously. All you have to do is tell me your favorite part of this episode on my latest Instagram, and I will send you one of my favorite hustling items. You're not going to know what it is until it's sent in the mail. All you have to do, like I said, is go to my latest Instagram and tell me your favorite gem from this episode. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you're all having a lovely start to 2019. This episode is brought to you by Ritual. You guys know I'm a human guinea pig and I'm still here taking Ritual and loving it, okay? It's filled with iron, vitamin E, magnesium, folate, and omega-3. 
kind of everything. It's made in the USA without synthetic fillers. 95% of women do not get the vitamins and minerals they need on a daily basis, so Ritual created a smarter vitamin with the nine essential ingredients women lack most. Go to ritual.com slash skinny today to choose clean ingredients backed by science. Sign up now at ritual.com slash skinny. 